This is VLX number 54, Christ on Fasting. We are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. In nomine Papi, Sefiri, Spiritu Santi. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patri, Sefiri, et Spiritu Santi. Amen. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Quick announcement, my P.O. box went out of service, but it's back up and functioning. So, we have these great prophets in the Old Testament like Elijah. Most Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox know that many of these great heroes of the Old Testament fasted. But is fasting something for Christians under the new law? Now, in modern Catholicism, we all grew up thinking of today's passage with the following two premises. One, the disciples of John the Baptist are under the old law of Moses and are fasting hardcore. Two, the disciples of Jesus are under the new law of love and don't seem to be fasting a ton when Jesus is with them before his passion and his resurrection. You're probably going to think I'm going to say those are both wrong, but no. Both of those premises are actually true, and we're going to talk about a third premise that throws us off for a false conclusion. But those two are true. So let me repeat those again so that you know that this is correct. One, the disciples of John the Baptist are indeed under the old law of Moses and are fasting hardcore when they meet Jesus today. Number two, the disciples of Jesus are soon to be, not yet, under the new law of love. And today they don't seem to be fasting a ton when Jesus is with them. Perhaps this is because it's before his passion and his resurrection. We're going to see the answer to that. Now, here's where we can go wrong. It's when we think that after Pentecost, fasting was still not necessary for Christians. That's false. Obviously, this is wrong since fasting is taking place all the time in Acts of the Apostles. But why aren't the apostles fasting much before the resurrection of Jesus? And then they are fasting after the resurrection of Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about today. And it's worth bringing to prayer as we launch into Lent. Now, they say that St. Peter lived on bread and olives his whole life after the resurrection of Jesus. So right there we have sacred tradition telling us something. Well, the first reason why there is a difference on the fasting of the apostles before the resurrection and their intense fasting after the resurrection of Jesus comes right from today's gospel here. And it's that wedding guests don't fast when they're with the groom. Jesus is the groom of the church, and the wedding guests being with him, it's not the time for them to fast. He says exactly that in today's passage about the apostles. Quote, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So the apostles will fast when Jesus is taken from them, namely when he's crucified, and the apostles will fast before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people hold that the old wineskins of the Old Testament include a lot of fasting, and the new wineskins of the New Testament does not include fasting. That's that third false premise I said would lead us to some false conclusions. Well, what we're going to see here as we look at the church fathers, or at least the ancients, is that Jesus is saying today that under the new law of love, that's going to include more intense fasting 
than the old law of Moses, which John the Baptist's disciples are fasting under, by the way. In some sense, Jesus is saying his disciples can't handle it till Pentecost. That might sound wacky, so I'm going to prove it with much more ancient sources than myself in just a minute. But listen directly to today's passage from Matthew chapter 9. Quote, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. End quote. That is a quote that confused me for a long time. Okay, the new wine is the Holy Spirit, but the new wineskins isn't only rejoicing and feasting. It's not just praying joyfully. It's also fasting even more hardcore than what we have in the Old Testament. Listen to Lapidae. This is page 444 and 445. This is him putting words in our Lord's mouth, but I think quite accurately. So I, who am the most prudent and gentle physician of souls, Perceiving the ancient and ingrained habits of my disciples, as it were, an old garment, and their infirmity as old bottles, do not as yet impose upon them hard and rigid penances and fasts, since they are not prescribed by the law but are voluntary, lest also the fruit of my teaching should be lost to them, and they being moved to despair should forsake me and my teaching. Rather, I am waiting until they shall be renewed by the heavenly Spirit whom I will send down at Pentecost, that oldness and weakness being laid aside, they may undertake new austerities and new fasts. And this they shall do, not by compulsion or from fear or punishment like the Jews, but voluntarily and out of love. And elsewhere, Father Lapide talks about how the disciples that were following him, they were already doing the fasts that were required by Jewish law, but John the Baptist's fasts were going above and beyond. He continues, Father Lapide says, As new wine, or must, by the violence of its fermenting spirit and its seeding heat, bursts the old skins because they are worn and weak, and so there is a double loss. First, that the skins burst, and second, that the wine is poured out. Therefore, new wine must be poured into new skins, so that being strong, they may be able to bear the force of the must and will not burst when it ferments. So in like manner, new austerities and fasts must not be imposed as yet upon my disciples, lest their spirit should be broken, and they depart from me. But I wait for them to be renewed by the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, and to be made strong and fervent in spirit. Then of their own free will they shall take on these austerities. End quote. So what Father Lapide is saying is that Jesus is implying that his disciples can't handle hardcore fasting right now, at least not going above and beyond the Jewish law as John the Baptist's men were doing at this point. But once they receive the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, they will go far beyond the fasting of the Old Testament prophets, far beyond the fasting of John the Baptist's disciples. Maybe not beyond John the Baptist because he was the pinnacle of penance there besides our Lord and Our Lady. But certainly the apostles lived this if you read the lives of the saints right there. So this is worth bringing to prayer if you're doing the study method of prayer as you enter Lent, that God gives you the grace to actually go above and beyond the Friday penance of no meat, which actually is very, very minimal. You see, we think of the old skins of fasting of the Old Testament that the disciples of John the Baptist are living under in the desert as really intense fasting. And so it was. But Jesus is saying that if you think that's amazing fasting, wait till you see what the apostles can do after Pentecost when they have the new wine. Right now, they couldn't handle it. But the fasting of the saints will be more intense than what the best Jews are doing because it's going to come directly from the Holy Ghost. It's going to come from a law of love, 
not the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was fine. Jesus isn't ripping on it. But it's just the beginning of what God has planned for humanity. The new law of love is going to be more intense fasting than the old law of Moses. But again, his disciples can't handle it till Pentecost. So let's summarize. Jesus is not teaching that the Old Testament is about fasting and the New Testament is against fasting like so many modernists believe. Jesus is saying his disciples are too weak on their own at this moment as much as is required by the new law of love in the New Testament until they have the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Doesn't this excuse you from fasting since you were not physically at Pentecost? Nope, you got the same Holy Spirit at baptism and confirmation. Thus, you have the grace to fast this Lent more than just Fridays from meat. Okay, let's look at that word wedding guest today. In the ESV or the RSV, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. End quote. Or in the Dure Rhymes Bible, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast. End quote. Now, those words, wedding guests, or children of the bridegroom, in those two different translations, it actually looks a little bit different in the Greek. Let's take a look at that. In the Greek, wedding guests is literally sons of the wedding hall or sons of the bridal chamber. Sounds a little bit like Lord of the Rings. So let's dissect the Greek right there. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 9, 15. It says, Hoi huioi tu nymphonos. Notice that hoi huioi is sons. It's specifically masculine. Now granted, that can be the universal meeting including sons and daughters, just as, for example, in Spanish, todos mis hijos could either mean all male sons or a mix of male and female. So let's translate hoi huioi as literally the sons. The next word. Notice the word nymphonos is just the genitive declension of nymphon, which means wedding hall or bridal chamber. So in the genitive declension, it's of the wedding hall. Put all that together and it's Sons of the wedding hall. What would sons of the wedding hall mean? Because it's specifically speaking of male disciples in at least today's section, I propose it could best be translated as groomsmen. Since there's an intimacy of friendship attached to that word nymphon, which I think may go deeper than all the people who just show up to a wedding, since again the translation of that word is wedding hall or bridal chamber. Calling them the groomsmen is not from the fathers, that's just from me, but think about it. Who else would be the sons of the wedding hall who celebrate with the groom until he leaves than the groomsmen, especially if today's section is spoken to the apostles? Now, if I'm correct about that, then we can say, how awesome is this that the apostles are the groomsmen to Christ, Christ who is marrying the church? And what is Christ's wedding to the church? It's a crucifixion lived out in the Holy Mass. And what do most groomsmen aspire to be one day? Just like the groom. Thus, the groomsmen will one day look just like the groom in these two ways, offering Holy Mass just as he did, hocus denim corpus meum, and number two, being crucified themselves. Actually, literally crucified if you think of St. Peter and St. Andrew who were both crucified and who both offered the Holy Mass. The groomsmen will one day have to follow the exact pathway of the groom to his church, giving his body for her and dying for her. 
but these new wineskins could only do such extreme penance, including endure crucifixion, with the new wine of Pentecost. This would mean a life of miracles, yes, all the things that everyone loves about Acts of the Apostles, but also this life of love that's horizoned in a life of suffering. And this dovetails with John 3, where I think John the Baptist is calling himself, in modern parlance, the best man of Christ. Listen to what St. John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Well, who else stands next to the groom rejoicing in that main spot next to him except the best man? Again, that's me, not the church fathers using a modern term like best man, but I don't think the fathers would disagree with me. I think you can bring this to the imaginative way of prayer too. I would suggest you do this. Place yourself in the Last Supper with Christ and his apostles, understanding Jesus to be the groom, giving his life in his body for the church in the Eucharist, surrounded by his groomsmen in this most intimate night of the Last Supper before he is taken from them and crucified. Picture, just like in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, that upper room, how quiet it is, so much more quiet than all the violence that's about to happen in the rest of the crucifixion when Jesus is arrested that night. In that upper room, there is no noise, just flickering candles and the apostles who surround Jesus for that first Mass on Holy Thursday there. It's a place so filled with peace, and you know something so intimate is happening there. So place yourself in that dark room with those flickering candles and look around. See all those apostles maybe not fully knowing yet that they are the groomsmen of Christ to be giving his body for the church, but hearing all of his intimacy and zeal for this moment as he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's straight from Luke's gospel. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So yes, this is the groom with his groomsmen. So place yourself in that upper room, that room of love, that room of charity, where Christ marries his church in the same sacrifice as his crucifixion the next day, knowing he would not only give his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, but also his mother to all of the apostles, especially John right there at the foot of the cross, and then in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the new wine, in the new skins of that new law of love, the law of grace, giving them the strength to fast, to offer penance, to empty themselves so the Holy Spirit could fill them until he comes in glory. Please say an Our Father for me. Et benedictio Deemne Patentis, Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti, Descendit, Super Vos, Et Maniat, Semper, Amen.